What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Payrolling. My name is Matt Vady, and today I was honored to be joined by Mike Collith of Collith CPA, which is the parent company of Organic Payroll and Sustainable HR PEO. Mike is a great dude. We love to talk shop about what it takes to scale your payroll and HR outsourcing company to the next level. This conversation did not disappoint. We were able to learn all of Mike's strategies for how he's grown three companies, what it takes to delegate more effectively so that you can lead your team to the next level. And Mike shared a lot of nuggets and insight that are really gonna help you to scale and put the right team in place around you so that you can grow a multi-million dollar payroll and HR outsourcing company. I hope you enjoy it. Holler at me if you have any questions, feedback, you can reach me at matt at guru.co. I appreciate you stopping by. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Payrollin', the show where you will learn how to operate and grow your payroll business from the most dynamic minds in the business. If your company offers payroll services, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Matt Vady. Let's go. Are you tired of dealing with payroll? Would you just like to finally get out of this industry and start focusing on what you actually do best, whether you're a CPA, healthcare broker, whatever your core discipline is, you started offering payroll services because you thought it would be a great value add. And then you quickly realized, well, this is consuming way more time for not enough money than I originally thought. Did you know that we are actively acquiring payroll books of business? We would love to work with you to identify if we can help you to partner with the right group that makes sense for an exit for you, but creates consistency in how you continue to treat your clients. If you're interested in learning more about Guru's acquisition services, simply go to guru.co forward slash acquisitions. That's G-U-H-R-O-O dot C-O forward slash acquisitions. Mike, how many businesses do you own anyway, man? Well, we are at three right now. Three, <laughs> it was four all? for a while, but one of them did not work out. So we're down to down to three. Um, so I have a CPA firm that we're roughly about 30 people. Uh, we do outsourced accounting, tax, payroll, HR um, for small to mid-sized clients. And then we have a company we call Banana VoIP, which is a voice over internet protocol company, which we own 50-50 with our IT firm. And so we sell voice over internet for uh, small to mid-sized clients again. And then our latest venture is Sustainable HR PEO, which is a professional employer organization. Uh, we started it two to three years ago. We've done a pretty slow burn on it to make sure we have processes in place and systems and all that fun stuff. Um, so we're getting close to about 100 uh, workforce uh, lives in the in the PEO at this point. So that's the three I got. <laughs> <laughs> so so how do you divide your time? I, I know this is something that I've struggled with over the years. We've had multiple yeah. ventures. We've uh, it's always <clears throat> been the challenge of hey how how am I going to spend my time? How am I going to keep focused? It, how, how do you manage your time when running three different businesses? Yep. So 
the primary time uh, that I spend is on the CPA firm, of course, because it's it's much larger. But I do spend, I guess, size-wise an inordinate amount of time on the PEL, um, just because it's startup. Uh, we're getting all the processes, systems in place, um, trying to get the word out to our clients and potential clients. Uh, so I spend quite a bit of time on that. I would say, you know, if the CPA firm is probably 70% of my time, I'd say 30% of the time on the PEO. And then Banana Voip kind of solves itself. Um, our IT firm does all the backend work on the system side. And so we don't get involved in a ton there other than introducing our clients to um, the service that we have. Uh, but other than that, that, that one doesn't take a lot of time. <laughs> That's great. So having three different businesses, like you said, splitting your time as equally as you can and where it makes sense where you need it across those three. You've obviously got some great people in place, probably a lot more on the CPA firm side than the PEO and payroll side. What have been some of your uh, best practices as it relates to, to acquiring talent, putting them in position to succeed and, and ultimately trusting them to do their job? I think that's one of the biggest challenges all of us entrepreneurs yep. have is once we find the right people, not just putting the right people in place, but actually trusting them to do their thing so we can focus on on the vision so we can focus on other things and keep the whole engine running. How, how have you approached that over the years? Sure. So I think we've taken a couple of approaches. Um, one of them is I am a big delegator. So I would I say maybe say to a fault that I will put trust in people until they break that trust. And so I believe in hiring someone to do the job. They're big boys and girls. They can get the job done. And until they tell me they can't, uh, we're, we're, we're just going to go ahead like that. So delegation has really helped me free up my time to pursue these other ventures. Um, on the CPA firm side, we have three, three partners total, obviously me and I have two other partners. They have been instrumental, obviously, in growing the CPA firm, helping manage it so I can spend my time on helping to grow the PEO. On the PEO side, we actually just took a pretty significant change in the way we were working it. Um, before year end, we had had it kind of as part of the CPA firm, even though it was a separate legal entity. Um, as of January 1st, we segregated it off. We actually have three people working in the PEO right now, um, completely separate from the CPA firm. Uh, we hired a leader to lead the PEO in October um, who came on and she has done a great job starting to get you know, the processes, systems. On the CPA firm side, we've been around for 15 years, so we have a lot of that stuff in place. So we're trying to implement uh, that on the PEO side. As you know, I mean, on the payroll side, and now you're on the PEO side too, uh, having documented processes that anyone can follow are critical. And so that's kind of been our goal with the PEOs to, you know, we want to grow, but we're still holding off on growth until we get all the processes documented properly. What kind of systems do you guys use for process documentation? Like, is that just a bunch of Word docs stored in a shared, shared drive? Or what's your what's your process when it comes to documenting SOPs? Yep, that's exactly right. It's all Word documents or Excel documents. So gotcha. we are accountants, a lot of accountants around. So we do use a lot of Excel. But yeah, we wish we had a better system. But for the size we are, it's just not worth uh, investing in a system that's more formal. Yeah. Yeah. And we use a system called 
we use Zoho for a lot of things, but Zoho mm -hmm. has a platform called Connect inside of it. That's like a, it has a manuals feature where you can create, oh, really? uh, man, you know, internal manuals. We use them for that. And then um, also inside of our, our customer support system, they have a knowledge base system where we'll create some of those and make them internal facing only, not client facing. Um, yep. But yeah, we're trying to kind of pick one horse and run with it right now. That's a bit of an internal topic du jour at the moment is which one of these stupid things am I? supposed to put the SOPs into. I got some yep. over here in Connect. I got some over here in the knowledge base. Where, where am I supposed to be going? But um, that's a that's a whole other story for a whole other day. So so you talked to, about being good at delegation. What do you think some of your your kind of tips and best practices are when you look at effective delegation? So when I think about it, if it's something that I have mastered and understand, it's ready to delegate, right? And so it's a matter of documentation, sitting down with a person, spending time with them, going through the process, showing them step-by-step. Step. Um, we've actually started using Loom. I think you recommended that to, to me um, to do videos for training. And so that's been kind of the next iteration of sitting down with someone and trying to write stuff on a, on a piece of paper. Then we went to the Word document. Now we're starting to use Loom. But I do think that face-to-face -face or one-on-one -on -one time is critical when you're trying to delegate. And then after that, I try and be as hands-off as possible and people come to me with questions, but I tend not to lord over them or try and micromanage in any way, shape, or form. Um, now it leads to interesting hiring things where you have to have people who are comfortable in an environment like that. And we've struggled with that over the years, gotten better at it, but it is tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Loom has been an absolute game changer for us. Uh, that's what somebody said on one of our team calls yesterday. And it was interesting because a gentleman and I were trying to meet this morning and we couldn't get on the same page. It, like I just had a meeting run long. He had one that was starting later and I was able to create that three minute Loom video, send him over my thoughts, poke around the system, show him what I was trying to, to articulate and was going to cover the meeting. He sent me back a Loom, you know, and it was like, an, it's an easy way if you can't, if you need asynchronous communication, but also yeah, yeah. to be able to show something. Um, great tool for those of you out there listening. L-O-O-M.com, uh, just a screen share recorder. And really, really nice for especially for delegation of simple tasks and showing somebody something when you just can't do it in real time. But um, so how'd you get your start in this industry? So, so obviously, you know, you started the CPA firm and it brings back to what brought you there. And then when did you start going into the payroll and HR space? Sure. So I started the firm in 2007. Uh, I merged in another firm in 2008 that did payroll at that time. And so Shortly after that, I think we had like 30 something payrolls at that point, not a ton. Um, we weren't using a real specific system. I think we were using QuickBooks at that time, actually, for all the payrolls we were doing. And then shortly after, uh, a woman from Paychex that had been calling on me as a potential client, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she came in and I said, are you interested in becoming our salesperson? And she yeah. said, Yes, I would like that. And so she's been with us for a decade now. Um, and we've grown that to, I think we're roughly 425 payrolls at this point. Um, and so it's been a combination of growth through combining our accounting clients with payroll, with some HR, um, and bundling that up. But we do have a large number of just standalone payroll clients that we work with. Uh, they tend to be pretty small businesses, a lot of, you know, single owner S-corps, um, startups, 
But then we, I think our largest client is well over 100 employees, a uh, restaurant. Um, so we have a, a number of those still print paper checks, <laughs> of course. Um, so we, we actually have to have someone in the office in order to have someone pick up the checks. Um, and then, boy, it's been about five years ago now that we hired an HR person full-time. Um, and like a lot of the things I tend to do is I wanted to solve my problem, which was I didn't want to deal with HR anymore. <laughs> and we had grown, we were probably 15, 20 people at that point. Um, so we ended up hiring her full-time with the idea of having her do consulting and then also servicing our internal needs. And so that went very well. We grew that book, uh, took a little hit during COVID. Uh, then we started to bring on a second person and a third person uh, in order to grow that end of the business and to deal with the PEO. So the PEO obviously took quite a bit of time up front, um, understanding the benefits, figuring out how to onboard, figuring out the system. We use uh, My Paperless Office for our, our HR system. And so figuring all that part of it out. Now we still use like our standard payroll process for the PEO. So it, it falls into that routine where we really know what we're doing on the payroll side. So we don't worry about that. It's more of the HR, the benefits side that we had to spend a little time ironing everything out. So you guys were offering some sort of HR outsourcing consulting prior to the PEO? Correct. Correct. Yeah, we, we had 10 to 15 clients that we were doing HR consulting for, and we would write the occasional handbook and those kinds of things. Or, you know, if someone had an unemployment claim and wanted to contest it, we would help with those kinds of things. That's cool. What prompted you to start the PEO? So <laughs> I, so when we were in, let's call it six, seven people on the CPA firm side, uh, it was really tough to get benefits, right? So you'd only have one or two people internally that would actually want health insurance. Well, you can't get a group health plan with one person. And so I had heard of PEOs at that point. I was familiar with them, but didn't pull the trigger uh, fortunately, we grew to the point where we were able to offer internal benefits. But, you know, just seeing what our clients deal with. Uh, and, you know, I feel like I'm fairly financially savvy, understand some of the insurance aspects of things. I was in the insurance industry for a little while. Um, that they just don't understand these things. And we are in a perfect position as a CPA firm to offer those services to those clients and understand what their needs are. And so that was the impetus. I actually had been thinking about it for almost a decade before I actually started it. Um, and so we, we pulled it off a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, of course, have a guinea pig, the CPA firm, to work out all the kinks. And as I said, now we're close to 100 people that are, are under, under control of the, the PEO, which is great. That's awesome. And, and you were very influential in our getting our PEO <laughs> off the ground as well. And how did we initially meet? I was trying to think about that. As so I, was... I think I was listening to payroll and okay. I think I, I, yeah. I think I heard the, heard it and I reached out to you, I think on LinkedIn or something to say hi. And then you somehow contacted my uh, salesperson. And so she hooked us up and then we started talking. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's like, well, it's funny because I, I think I've said this on here before. I mean, the first episode we ever recorded came from a conversation that I was having with Madam Holtz and we got off the phone and I was like, man, like so many people could have derived value from that conversation in yep. the payroll industry. And that's kind of the heart of a lot of the relationships that I have with other guys, like guys and gals like you, where it's like, 
people are just open. They're sharing best practices. They're sharing what, it, yep. you know, how they grew their firm from here to there and what, what pitfalls to avoid and what systems they use. And, and it was like, man, that would really be helpful to record some of these and fun. And that, you know, like it's such a better, uh, you know, like a lot of people kicked around the idea of the podcasting for a while, but it's like, who cares? What's more noise out here? Whereas this is a, such a unique little industry and yeah. different things that we can share. And I've made great relationships like this one, man. I'm excited that that's how we met. I completely forgot. But um, yeah. so, so yeah, we had a similar, I tell people, you know, we've been in business seven years and probably since year two every year we've kicked the tires on do we offer a PEO like oh that's intriguing you know yep. that solves this particular set of problems but tell me were you like me and that I've spent so much time selling why you shouldn't go on a PEO that when <laughs> it came time to roll out the PEO so a couple of like we had a CPA locally here who's like yeah I've been meaning to ask you about that because you're pretty adamant about why one of my clients shouldn't go on a PEO at one point you know what what changed so was that a similar mindset for you? So I don't know that we were ever against PEOs. I think my beef always was that they were very, uh, they weren't transparent, right? It was very difficult to tell what their fees were, to understand like what was actually coming through on their bills. Um, and then I think a lot of the, I, I guess the impression of the industry, especially in the early days, like I, I know Florida was a hotbed for them and there was a lot of fraud and those kinds of things. So I, I had a bad taste in my mouth about PEOs because of that. Um, but once I really started looking into it, understanding the actual like function of the PEO, uh, we joined NAPIO or the National Association of PEOs. I started to understand there are good players in the business and it does serve a, a good function for small businesses. It, it is tough to understand benefits. I mean, I spent a lot of time on it and it's still, you know, understanding the facets of health insurance and how the workers comp market works and all those things. And again, I feel like I'm fairly financially savvy. And if I was a nonprofit owner or non nonprofit owner, the ED of a nonprofit, I would have no idea what these things meant. And so being able to help people out from that standpoint, I think is what makes sense from a PEO standpoint to help people out. So for anybody listening, Donna, me, as I'm saying this, you know, once you start throwing around acronyms, you assume everybody knows what it is and what it means. And, and that's not always the case, right? Yep. Uh, even in the industry, I think some people probably don't know what a PEO is, a professional employer organization. What is a PEO, Mike? What, what's different about a PEO versus traditional payroll and HR outsourcing? Sure. So it's the co-employment arrangement is, is what it's technically called. And what that means is that you as the employer retain control of your employee. You have the management responsibilities, uh, you have the work site um, safety and all that stuff. You have to be responsible for that. The PEO will actually do all the payroll administration. It will provide the benefits and it'll provide some risk management consulting, usually a handbook and some light HR as part of the package. Um, and then all the W-2s and all the tax filings are done by the PEO. So it takes a lot of the compliance related stuff off your plate. And so that that the that is the big deal. And you don't have to go out and procure benefits, you know, talk to multiple insurance brokers or whatever you have to do to find those benefits. You know, the PEO will provide a suite of life, disability, health, pet insurance, whatever, uh, you know, vision, dental, whatever benefits that that PEO may offer. Yeah, and if you think about this, uh... We'll touch on a few things here, but the competitive landscape. So if you're listening to this and you own a payroll bureau, uh, there's 16,000 
people <laughs> or companies that process payroll in America. There are 800 PEOs. So obviously it's a, it's a smaller market, a lot more barriers to entry as we uh, have figured out. We're in the thick <laughs> yes. of kind of plowing through right now. It's definitely, it's not cheap. It's not easy. Yep. And a lot of regulatory stuff, <laughs> a lot more regulation than the payroll industry, yep. which is, you know, good and bad. Right. So now the other thing to your point for me, we finally just had so many people kind of just really pushing back about age banded plans, their inability yep. to recruit against top tier organizations when they have less than 50 employees. So if you have less than 50 employees, I'm sure most people listening know you're on an age banded plan. If you go to the open market, which means if I'm, you know, 42 and Mike's 25, like we're paying different rates for our plans. And, you know, th that gets very hard to budget. It looks a little hokey when you go to give it to somebody who's coming away from once again, if you're trying to poach a, a lead developer, a lot of our clients are software companies, you're yeah. trying to poach a developer away from a big company and you're like, oh, how old are you? Let me look up on the grid and see what your premium portion will be. And no, we can only offer one plan. And since we only yeah. offer one plan, we can only contribute this amount. And it's just hard to compete when you're uh, a smaller business. And like you said, the educational piece, understanding all of it and, and putting a strategy in place that makes sense is hard. Uh, for us, there was a big tipping point. So there were two big tipping points. So there was, you know, you guys use a similar component to your technology stack as us and kind of educated yep. us on how you use that. So that was like hurdle number one. But hurdle number two for us was we had a, if we couldn't get Blue Cross, then there was no point. In South Carolina, like many states, Blue Cross just dominates. And I remember back in my old, uh, you know, national days where we would try to convince people why Aetna and Cigna were great. And it yep. was, you know, square peg round hole. Be like, no, no, no. So <laughs> seriously, the network's amazing. Like they're going to be fine. And, and you know, we, we struggled with that. But so, so we managed to, to break down that barrier. But I think it, it's definitely, you nailed it. And that's, the competitive advantage and the thing that I think people uh, don't like about PEOs besides, you know, the, the mystery around co-employment is, are these companies that charge a percentage of payroll? And yep. so it's like once, you know, the ADP total source of the world, the, uh, who was I talking to yesterday? Insperity or trying out one of them as a percentage of payroll as well. And, and yep. were, you know, the guy was like, look, I can't tell you exactly what I pay, but I know it's more than what you just showed me. <laughs> yes. and, and so, so that's the other thing is, you know, the sales reps, the service people can't even tell you what you're actually paying. They can't break that number yep. apart. And that, that's a bad sign. So um, it's an interesting market for sure. But, but what, have, what else have you guys run up against that's been good and bad when getting the PEO up and off the ground? So I, I think our biggest hurdle initially was getting a national health plan. So like you with the blues, um, we, so Madison, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and Madison is a very HMO based market. And so the health insurance that the CPA firm had was through one of the HMOs here in town, and they just did not offer a competitive national plan. So we were unable to help our clients with people outside of really the Madison and Milwaukee area. And so when things really started going is when we switched the, the provider we were using. They had a decent national health plan, and we were able to capture a number of our clients, which have people all over the country. And so that has been a, a big boon uh, for us. Getting the uh, My Paperless Office up and running has taken time, um, and getting the kinks worked out on making sure benefits are out there, understanding like the employee review process within it 
PTO type stuff within it. Um, that has taken us some time. But yeah, I think the health insurance from a sales standpoint, at least, what has been our biggest um, barrier to success. Are you finding the new groups you're bringing on there are coming off of PEOs or off of different uh, just sort of normal in-house or payrolls here, benefits are with an agent? And it, what's the typical customer look like? I would say that's very true is the last part you said there. So our most, most recent client that we put on was with a, they had their own health insurance. It was not as good as ours. And while we ended up being more expensive, like the PEO fees, um, we charge a per full-time employee per month and then a per part-time employee per month fee. So they ended up, it cost them probably 20% more than they were already paying, but the benefits were better and it took all the other compliance issues and dealing with benefits brokers off their plate. And so that's been a pretty typical one. They were already a CPA firm client. Um, although we did just today, I got an email from someone else I have networked with in the past that's looking at a PEO now too. So uh, we'll be going up against Tandem for that one, <laughs> which uh, just acquired a big, big PEO here in town. This and just somebody just asked me this question this week. Like, how do you compare versus this PEO when you're going head to head with this one? What do you do? And it's like, look, if, if we're going head to head with another PEO, yeah. like that's not a battle. That's not how we choose to fight. And I'm sure there's some yep. Sun Tzu art of war thing behind <laughs> this. But like, if they're coming with a PEO, then we're probably going to come with our ASO and maybe team up with an agent or a broker, or maybe look yep. at a payroll and self-enabled technology on it only. Like, we don't want to go and talk about how one bell's louder you know, or one bell's shinier, one whistle, uh, you know, the whistle's louder, whatever it might be. Like, we're not yeah. trying to go tit for tat with another company that does the exact same thing. And that's been our sales strategy from day one is kind of the same where it's like, if they're on a PEO today, let's talk about why unbundling it and putting you on an ASO makes more sense for you. And if not, then stay where you're at and vice versa. But I, I've been interested in the fact that our earliest clients and, and now, so it's, it's February 4th, 2022, we're recording this. And we literally just launched our PEO January 1st with our first yep. client. So we are fresh out the gates, but <laughs> our, our, our clients are almost all coming off of, Hey, we were using Gusto for payroll or we, you know, QuickBooks yep. for payroll and we don't even have benefits and we need to offer benefits. There have been several of yep. those. Yeah, it's, definitely. You know, just kind of piecing it together and like, oh, you guys will do all the HR stuff too. That's great. Cause we've, you know, we've grown to 15 people and we have no HR today and we really need some help on the HR side. And so, so yeah, it's been interesting to see that's where it is. And just have not got the, the thing that's so funny to me is this mystical concern around the co-employment arrangement that for years, yep. I've also tried to create concern around. Once again, I've gotten <laughs> head to head with PEOs a lot uh, and tried to create some mystery around that. But there's really not a lot of downside to the co-employment arrangement. And no, I mean, honestly, from a liability standpoint, it, it helps you, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple of things I wanted to piggyback off of. So what we have seen also is that the big national firms that start with an I maybe um, have terrible service. And yeah. so we can win on service. And that, yeah. honestly, that's the way we built our payroll practice, right? So if we're competing against a paychecks or an ADP, we have one person that you're going to talk to that's responsible for all the payrolls in our firm, and she will take care of you. And so while on the payroll side, generally we're a little lower priced, we are fairly competitive with the national providers from a price standpoint on the PEO side. And so we find that 
I have one person, I know who they are. That's the big thing to them. And with insperity, <laughs> they can't get a hold of a person or they'll get passed to five different people and they get frustrated with that. And they can't figure out what their bill is. <laughs> so that has been a competitive advantage for us. I think the other issue, I think to go back to what you had asked about before that we have had is trying to keep things in scope within what our PEO contract says. Um, and so, you know, are, are we doing um, recruiting without charging because that's outside of scope? Um, so we have struggled with that part of it a little bit too, just making sure we're not doing stuff that's outside scope and then not charging for it. Well, it's funny because there's this, you know, can I use better customer support as my USP, my unique selling proposition? And, yep. you know, any consultant would tell you, no, that's not enough. You need to layer in this, that, or the other thing. But there is, it, that is most everybody listening to this episode right now. Like that is going to be your superpower is the fact yep. that, you know, they can talk to Susie every time they call your office and Susie's going to get to know them and they're going to get to know her. Now, of course you have to have some contingency and some talk track in some, some actual plan around what happens when Susie leaves yeah. and when all yep. your eggs are in Susie's basket, because, you know, let's face it, employees do not say for 30 years, that's not the way things work anymore. And so exactly. we've got to have good plans for that. You've, you, you know, I think one of the things we've really been fortunate enough to do is this balance of me coming from that fortune 500 world. Like I've seen what the expectations are from, Hey, people want immediate responses. They don't want to sit on hold. They, you know, but they yep. need to know, they need to have comfort that you've got systems and processes in place. And I feel like that's the place I see a lot of smaller bureaus struggle is that they're just going, Oh, just email Susie, like just email mm -hmm. Susie at gpayroll.com and you'll be fine. And like, that's great, but that's not sustainable long-term. You've got to have some support mechanisms and infrastructure in place to be able to, to support more than one client and more than 100 clients and more than 1000 clients eventually. So how has your support model evolved over time? How do you guys, uh, you know, continue to, to improve that? Yep. So <laughs> it has not, unfortunately, a ton. But I think the next level we're going to go to, and we're at that point, especially on the payroll side right now, we just, 400 is a lot, 400 plus is a lot. Um, so we've started to spread it throughout the firm with the main person starting to do more review um, rather than doing the actual processing. Um, and then I think I'd like to go to a ticketing system in the not too distant future of some sort. We haven't start re started researching that, but I think across the companies that we have, um, it would make a lot of sense for us to have some sort of customer service component because we've never really had that within the CPA firm, within payroll, or within the HR component of what we have so that it is a little less dependent on one person. And if a client has a particular request, then someone else could possibly answer that. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And that's that's how our process has been for quite a while, just because, I mean, honestly, with self-preservation initially, it was like, <laughs> how do I get everybody to stop emailing me with every question? Because yes. I, you know, I was doing all the selling in the early days. And so no matter once we started adding employees, it's like they weren't emailing Stacy, they were emailing me, you know, and it's like, <laughs> all right, no, like, we can't have that. So started out with support at ergpayroll.com, you know, and first it was just yep. a shared inbox and then it moved into, you know, one customer support ticketing system another but 
yeah, now we're in this place where you've got somebody who's basically an expediter who says every ticket that comes in, I either, you know, close it out because it's junk or I assign it to the tax person or I assign it to the right payroll person or I assign it to the HR person. And then they kind of act like, you know, if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, there's that person who stands in the back that matches the tickets to the plates and gets yep. them to the right server. <laughs> like that's that's effectively what this person does. And and it's really efficient for our team. But it's also, you know, it's 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 hard, man, because this past week, it was funny, we started with a new service and their first email that came to me was from their support email address. And it came with this Zendesk template. And I was like, oh, or, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, golly, do my clients feel like this when they get that first email from yeah. support, the welcome email. But, you know, we try to personalize it a little bit more. We try not to have this is kind of, uh, you know, there's had kind of some weird framing on the email that made it feel like it was coming out of a, a, out sure. of a machine and not it was out canned. of a machine. Yeah. And it was, a, so there's a delicate balance there, but, it, but it's easily explainable too, right? Because you want your clients yeah. to know, like we track first response times. Like we know every single day, every single week, what our average first response time is, how long it takes to close a ticket on average. If it's a first time, if it's a first call resolution, like once again, our smaller competitors are never going to be able to make those types of commitments when we go yep. in and, it's not that we're going head to head with a lot of the local guys typically, but still they, if somebody's going to leave an ADP, a QuickBooks, a Gusto, a whoever, like they have to have confidence that you and I are going to be able to serve them. And so those are just other little feathers in our cap to be able to point to actual data. Um, yep. And, you know, we track how many tickets have we closed? How many things have we answered? Yeah. We've answered 69,000 HR questions. Oh, great. Um, that's yep. a, you know, once again, a nice little selling point and, and kind of validation, but um, yeah, so the PEO, that's been an interesting learning curve for me. <laughs> what, what, how do you guys see that continue to evolve as you go forward? Yep. So we're definitely, now that we have a leader in place, um, it's going to be easier for us to get out and sell the, the product. So again, as I told you before, we've been really slow growing this. We've been trying to get everything worked out so that when we do have a significant number of uh, employees that we're dealing with, that we're able to deal with it effectively. And so we're about at that point. Um, now that we have a leader on board, we're going to fill out one or two more positions on the HR side. And once we have that, um, we are going to open the floodgates and actually try and push the PEO much harder than we have. We we basically have been, if we talk to a client about it and they happen to think it's interesting, we go for it. Otherwise, we don't. Um, and then engaging our salesperson that we have uh, in actively selling it because we haven't really pushed her to do it because, again, on the service side, we want to be ready for it. Yeah, I totally get that. You're you're much more pragmatic than I am. I'm very <laughs> ready fire aim. Let's uh, you know, we'll, we've been pretty candid with our first batch clients. We knocked ten dollars yep. per employee per month off the bill. We're like, look, this is you know, one one is when it started, and one one is when you started. So there's no <laughs> mysteries here. Like it's not going to yep. be perfection out of the box, and you've got to be willing to be candid. And you know, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of proposition, right? Like you need to yeah. let people know, Hey, here are all the reasons why this is going to work. And here are the things that we're just still not even sure about what sure. they look like over the next coming months. I mean, we were in a, we're in a similar position. So, I mean, we've, we've started with ASO from the start. I mean, ASO has kind of been our lead product administrative yeah. services offering or outsourcing, uh, depending on the acronym and how it's interpreted. But, you know, for those of you listening in that aren't as familiar with the ASO, um, oh, this was an FAQ a while back. I'll address that right now. I promised I was going to do an FAQ episode and I never did. Uh, so somebody asked, well, how do I define an ASO? And 
I think it, I won't get into splitting hairs between an ASO and an HRO, HR outsourcing versus administrative services outsourcing. But I, in my mind, this is not an industry standard definition, but an ASO, like we're doing the work in a lot of respects. And so what that means is that HR side, you know, not only are we going to write the handbook, we're going to answer the, uh, the employer's questions, we're going to answer the employee's questions too. Like that's a big variable for me and how we deliver it was we say, hey, look, your employees, if they have a question about how to clock in, clock out, how to find their password, where to find their pay stub, you know, they just want to talk to somebody in HR, they can reach out to us. So that's different than, you know, if somebody comes to us for payroll and HR technology, we're not talking to their employees. We're talking to the sure. admin level folks only. And, you know, our so big, more of you're the HR department. That's right. With the yeah. ASO aspect of it. That's exactly yeah. how we pitch it is, hey, look, we're an extension of your team. We're the HR team. And the big difference for me, so to have been elusive in this episode, but it's not going to be any secret to anybody's listened to enough to know that I used to work at ADP for a period of time and they had a product called ADP Resource. And they also had, um, it's called the BPO services, comprehensive services. Once you go up over 50, you know, the biggest complaint I always got, everybody wanted it. But when they actually bought it, they were like, look, my HR business partner is just a glorified tech service person because you guys force <laughs> me to do everything in the service, in the technology myself. Yeah. And so, you know, they spent all their time kind of browbeating them like, oh, no, you got to do this in here. And oh, you got to do this this way. Whereas our team will just pick it up and run with it. Right. Like they're not going to force them to become subject matter experts in the software. If they send us an, an attachment, we're going to attach it to the employee's file. We're not going to turn around and go, oh, no, you, here's how you upload it and, and kind yeah. of force them to, to get inside the systems. And so a little bit more handholding, a little bit more of that, that yeah. kind of hands on approach. But sorry, a bit of a diatribe there. Somebody came <laughs> that I think that was Matt. I think that was Matthew Patrick. If that was you, brother, there you go. Hopefully I'll see you next month at IPPA. Um, the, uh, <laughs> all right. So, so you guys have also done, you, you've scraped several of the, the topics that we talk frequently about here, just because they're interesting to a lot of people. One of those is mergers and acquisitions. So yep. how many acquisitions have you guys uh, performed over the years? So we've acquired five uh, CPA firms over time. Um, or accounting firms, let's call it. One of them was not a truly a CPA firm. Um, I can go on as long as you want me to with stories about it. Um, the first one uh, was probably our most successful one. And I made probably the worst mistake you could. Um, so we paid cash up front for it. And the owner passed away within less than a month of us purchasing the firm. And so that's a oh bleep moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are we going to do? Are we going to keep these clients? And yes, I did pay it all up front. Um, we got lucky that there was a, another person involved in the firm, happened to be the gentleman's son. Um, and we were able to retain those clients and actually grow some of those clients over time. Um, so that was my first foray into it. I learned never pay all up front and never pay more than 20% up front. Um, then we did another one about three years later, uh, which added to, we have three offices, one of our other offices that's not in Madison. Um, that one, we did a little more than 20 up front, probably overpaid for it in retrospect, has worked out fairly well. Um, it was a more individual tax return type practice. So there's a lot of churn typically in those. 
Um, and then we have merged and demerged two of them since then. Uh, so they came in, um, thought it was a good fit. And in the business-wise, it was a good fit. But both of them, the culture was nowhere near. <laughs> we have a unique culture, I think. Um, pretty laid back, pretty, you know, everybody pitches in to do what you're going to do. And for some reason, those other ones just did not fit in with us. And so one of them, uh, we had a gentleman's agreement, paid us back for what we paid him and went, went away. Uh, the second one we had to sue <laughs> oh, wow. uh, to, get our, to get our money back. Because when you leave and take the book of business, that's kind of what I paid you for. So um, so those were have, have uh, made us a little bit more gun shy on doing acquisitions. Um, and a lot of it's the culture thing. I, I did not realize how big of a deal it was until those, those two that we had done. And so we've looked at a few since then, uh, looked at actually a pretty good size one. It would have been a probably a 20, 25% increase in business. But when we looked at their technology and their people, it just didn't make much sense <laughs> for mm -hmm. us to do. Um, so I've, I've learned a lot of lessons along the way <laughs> and that kind of growth, um, Luckily, we've been able to achieve it without doing acquisitions. Um, but, you know, not that we wouldn't do one, but it'd have to be very strategic and the culture uh, would have to be right. And I guess the other big tidbit I would give is don't let the person stay more than whoever the owner is or the, the, the one who's pretty much in charge of it stay more than probably a year. Because hmm. it's just not going to turn out well. <laughs> right. And they probably, if they want to, that's an interesting signal in and of exactly. itself. Because most of us as entrepreneurs, if you're listening to this, like your dream is to just sell and walk away when the time comes. It's not exactly. to, it's not to sell and hang out and have an influence over the future direction of the company. Like, I mean, yep. most of us, and, and usually you kind of have the opposite problem where it's like, uh, you know, we put in a two-year earnout, and they're trying to scram after you know three days and, and and keep as much of the pie as they possibly can, which is almost never how it works. But yeah, how did you find those deals? So there's a pretty active broker community uh, for accounting firms, and so we have, get solicited by them regularly, saying, "Hey, we got this firm for sale." Um, I think. One of them was referred by another person that we know, an attorney that we know. Um, and another one, actually, our salesperson for, for payroll uh, <laughs> called on them because we do a little bit of white labeling for CPA firms on, nice. on the uh, payroll side. And so she referred him in. Um, so it's been a variety, but the broker market is pretty active. But after a while, I mean, if you know, like a particular firm in town, like with LinkedIn and all those things, it's pretty easy to reach someone. So I would, I would definitely be much more targeted um, in who I look at and who I talk to. Um, and I would try to avoid the broker, of course, because that's like 10% out of the box that <laughs> the seller is losing. Um, so... Let me ask you a question. Are you the go-to person in your market for payroll and HR? Are you the first face and name somebody thinks of when they think about who am I going to refer this person that needs help with their payroll and HR support? If not, you might want to look into our executive LinkedIn management service through Underdog Digital. 
Underdog Digital is a sponsor of this show, and they've seen results such as, I'm looking at one profile right here, where over the course of six months, they increased views by over 200%, more than 600,000 views on these posts in, in less than six months. Uh, another one, a plus 1,000% increase in eight new conversations in the first 30 days. This is a tremendous service to help you to become the go-to person for uh, payroll and HR outsourcing in your market. They create content for you, engage with other people in your space, send connection requests, and do outreach to generate conversations that do nothing more than create valuable relationships with your target audience. If you're interested in learning more about Underdog Digital's executive LinkedIn management service, go to underdogdigital.co. That's underdogdigital.co. Yeah, it seems like it's a lot easier to make acquisition. Not easier, but at least there's a lot more deal flow on the accounting firm and CPA yeah. firm side of the house. As you're talking through that, I'm thinking about there's a company here locally that's got, you know, always emailing me the latest deals. And I'm like, man, if they would do this for payroll businesses, it'd be amazing, yeah. right? Like it'd be yep. nice to know what was, uh, and, and if you're listening, this isn't a uh, business idea podcast, but it certainly could be. <laughs> and it's like, man, this is number four. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nash, like you probably couldn't do that. There's probably not enough deal flow in any yeah. particular region, but nationally that certainly would yeah. be a valuable service and, and one that, you know, you'd probably have trouble keeping inventory on the shelves if you did a good job fleshing out people yep. that wanted to, to make an exit. Um, you know, I know <laughs> we're all sharks out here when it comes to like the uh, anytime I mentioned, you know, I've had multiple folks on who are like, you know, pitching, selling uh, or buying uh, uh, payroll bureaus and we obviously are interested in it as well i think there's a commercial yep. in here about it but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so if you're listening right now and you just hate being in the payroll space now that's <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, well, interesting piece of advice I got recently, I'd, I'd like your perspective on because obviously that is something we are actively pursuing our, our acquisitions. But mm -hmm. one of my friends told me, he's like, look, man, you know, I was telling him the deal size we were looking at. I was like, I want to get some smaller ones under our belt, you know, quarter million, half a million, like just get a few of those kind of singles, doubles under our belt, grow the book, and then we can upsell them on PEO, ASO, all that stuff. We want some, yeah. some just pure payroll books, maybe to strip them off of accounting firms, et cetera. And, and he was like, look, Matt, like a $250,000 deal is going to take just as much time and energy as a two and a half million dollar deal. So you might as well do the two and a half million dollar deal right out of the gate. What's your experience been with, with that type of statement? That's a good question. So our acquisitions have ranged from three person firm to the largest was I think 10 people when we acquired it. Um, I will say that if you have turnover in the larger acquisitions, it is a big stress on the system. Um, so, you know, you, if, if you have one person leave from there, now you have to learn a whole new client. The, their other people are too busy because they're trying to get used to your processes. And so then it puts pressure on your internal people. So if I were to do a bigger acquisition, I would probably hire a full-time person to just manage that. Because um, I, I think that, it's going to be very difficult internally to handle something like that. Um, and even if you're getting 10 people with it, those 10 people were already busy with what they were doing, right? And so they're not going to have extra time to manage 
a migration of systems or a moving in office or whatever it might be. Um, and so I would say that I wouldn't be scared of bigger ones now. Had I not done one before, I probably would be. <laughs> that first one kind of got our feet under us to understand what are the specific things that have to happen. Like just simple things like how do you migrate from one tax system to another or payroll system to another? It creates more problems than you think. and It takes a little more time than you think. Um, and so that's why I think if you're doing a bigger one, I would, no, no question in my mind, I would have a point person that at least half their time is dedicated to the, the transition. Yeah. It sounds like you guys, I mean, you said this and I maybe just need to clarify it from my end is like the integration of the new people into your team is as big of a challenge as any other component of it. And just out of curiosity, how many of those people that have come to you guys via acquisition over the year are still there? Are you talking clients or employees? Employees. None. Actually, now that you mentioned that, because the two the two bigger ones we did were the demergers. <laughs> and so uh, they they basically took all their employees back. Yeah. Yep. And the two first ones were smaller ones. One of the persons retired. Actually, two of them retired out of that one, and it was only three people. And then the other one um, was just a three-person shop, mom, dad, and kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kid left us probably three, four years ago. So yeah, none. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm always curious about that piece because it is to your point, like meshing cultures is always hard and people are, yep. you know, most people struggle with change, except for Lori Brown, who I interviewed yesterday, with which episode you'll probably, if you're listening to this episode, you probably just listened to that episode. Um, but she, she loves change, which I love because yep. me too, like I can't, I can't sit still for any extended period of time. It was like, I'm with you, man. <laughs> like, oh, we, you know, everything's just now up and humming and running really well. We're up 40% versus last year. Let's start a PEO. Like, that's <laughs> See, you we're dealing with accountants and payroll people they are detailed people they don't like things changing <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i drive a lot of people crazy and that's uh that's <laughs> me too that's fun for me um <laughs> <laughs> all right so you've, you've had some good acquisitions some bad ones i like that demerger that's uh that's an interesting one i think i made that word up <laughs> uh, hey listen i mean that's what we're here for nobody's gonna question that uh <laughs> So what's next for you guys overall, the future of the business? I mean, where do you see these three companies going over time? Yep. So our goal is to get the PEO to be as big as the CPA firm. Mm -hmm. um, we think we can have some pretty significant growth. As I said before, the largest competitor, there's only three in Madison, three PEOs in Madison that aren't national players or outside of the Madison area. Um, so we think we can pick up some pretty good growth once we really hit the, hit the pavement and start selling. Um, and so we think we can do, do 20, 30, 40, 50% a year if we can get our processes and systems and people in place. Um, on the CPA firm side, it's crazy. I mean, there's people retiring every other day. All you hear about is firms not taking on new clients. Um, so there's a lot of growth to be had there too. So we're hoping to be 10 to 15% a year. We found that going much over 15 is tough on the system, tough getting enough people in place. Um, 
and then you're starting to deal with, do you need middle managers and those kinds of things, that next level that you need to hire. Um, and then on the VoIP system, that one just kind of chugs along. So I don't see huge growth for that, but we put on 10, 15 clients a year. That's great. We've got a lot of listeners just knowing a lot of them personally where they, I mean, they, they kind of followed the blueprint, right? I got a CPA bookkeeping accounting yep. firm. I eventually noticed that, uh, you know, all my clients are using 50 different payroll systems. I finally decided I'm going to go get a white label payroll system. I'm going to start offering payroll. I'm going to, you know, next thing you know, organic payrolls there. And next thing, <laughs> next thing you know, you know, we got 25, 30, 50, 100 payroll clients. Like yep. what advice would you give to those folks that are maybe at the front end of that journey of they've got the accounting firm, they're adding the payroll side of the house. What are some lessons that you've learned along the years that you think would be valuable to share. Sure. So the system I think is critical. Um, you and I both use payroll relief. Um, we find that that from a pricing standpoint, while the, quite frankly, these service is not great. Um, the pricing is advantageous. Um, so that yeah, my camera is... went off when you mentioned this. Um, so I think the system is a big deal because from a profitability standpoint, it is really helpful. Um, I think another critical piece was hiring that salesperson early in the process. Um, that was one where I guess I'm not as much of an accountant as most where I was willing to take the leap. I had no idea if she was going to be able to sell or not. I know she had worked at paychecks, but bringing her on when we did, when we had almost no payroll business was amazing. Um, I would also say if you get someone who is trained in payroll sales, we've had a difficult time getting the cross-selling of accounting and tax services. It just, for whatever reason, hasn't worked well for us. I don't know if it's the way we do things or whatever it may be. Um, and then I think you need that one stalwart payroll processor slash customer service person. And you can have other people involved in the process, but having that one kind of critical person has been a huge help for us. It's helped us to grow to this 400 and not really put on another full-time sale or a full-time payroll person. Is she able to get referrals from other CPA and accounting firms for the payroll side, even though you guys- Our have... salesperson? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as I said, we white label at least two or three other CPA firms and we get referrals all the time. And we just have a either a general- person's agreement that we're not going to poach or some of them where it's a larger book, we will sign a contract with them that says we will not poach their clients or actively yeah. solicit their clients. Yeah. It's so much easier than people. And it's hard though, because everybody's had that relationship with an ADP where all of a sudden, you know, the benefits brokers are the ones where it's like, you know, they got a gentleman's agreement with their ADP rep, sells a bunch of accounts together. And then that rep leaves and somebody backdoors all their accounts from telesales yeah. and starts trying to sell them benefits. And so those horror stories are out there, which actually play into all of our favor as regional providers and that we can yeah, exactly. Like, look, man, like we don't have 50 people beating the streets. We're not going <laughs> to backdoor your people. We have a we have something in our CRM that literally says, don't call them about benefits if they're working <laughs> with these people. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome, Mike. Any parting shots you want to leave the good folks with today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess entrepreneurship is fun, man. Uh, payroll is a great business. We love it. Um, I think it's one of the more profitable parts of, of what we do. And the PEO is going to be a journey. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, 
it's a, it's a journey. Enjoy the ride. And I appreciate exactly. it, brother. And, and I'll, I'll kind of bolt onto that and make, make sure you connect with other people. Like uh, if you're listening to this right now and we've never chatted, reach out. If you never chat with Mike, reach out. Like it's yep. so nice and refreshing to talk shop with people that empathize, that understand your struggles that are, you know, Mike's a little ways out in front of us in a lot of ways. And we're out in front of them in a couple of ways. Yep. And it's, so it's, it's nice to just be able to bounce things off of each other and be able to learn and, and really just, uh, you know, sometimes commiserate over the, the oh, struggles that are very exactly. real in these industries <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i appreciate very your much time so. man it's a pleasure as always and well uh, thanks for having me on it was fun yeah brother i'll talk to you soon thank you if you enjoyed that episode please share it with someone else you know who might enjoy it and learn from this and also please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast player We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and also don't hesitate to reach out with other topics you'd like to hear more about. Thanks so much.